The God of heaven loves you, cares about you, wants what's very best for you. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that God really does have your best interest at heart? That he really does long to bless and to heal and to forgive? The Bible indicates that that's exactly where his heart is. That he longs to care about people. That he longs to bless people. So why is it that so many people live their lives without healing, without forgiveness, without cleansing? Why is it that so many people live their lives apart from God? The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why does God long to bless, and yet people don't find and experience the blessings of God in their lives? The answer to that question lies in the word faith. We talk a lot about faith, and indeed the Bible uses the word faith hundreds of times. But faith is what gives us access to the blessings that God intends. So much so that Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 tells us explicitly that we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. When we put our faith and our trust in God, that is what gives us access to the grace that he provides. God's grace is conditional. And the condition of receiving the blessings of God, his forgiveness, his blessing, his favor, the condition is that we put our faith in God. So what is faith? The simplest and most efficient definition of faith that I've ever seen is this. Faith is trusting God's word and obeying his commandments. It's two things. You can't have one without the other. Faith is putting my trust in God's word, his promises, his warnings, his judgments. I'm putting my trust in what he has said, and then I am going to respond accordingly. I'm going to obey his commandments. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We are singing about biblical faith when we speak about trust and obedience. This lesson is an illustration of that principle. Putting one's trust in God and obeying his voice and the blessings that flow from that kind of a life, from that kind of an attitude, from that kind of behavior. I trust you, God, and I want to obey what you've said. Open your Bible, if you would, with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19 this morning. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 19. It is the story of a man who put his faith in God. He trusted what God said, and he obeyed God's voice, and he found blessing, healing, cleansing. If you and I are ever going to find blessing and healing and cleansing in our lives, it's going to be by faith. Watch what the story unfolds for us. As you look at it, 2 Kings chapter 1, or 2 Kings chapter 5, look at verse 1. This story centers on a man named Naaman. Now, Naaman is not an Israelite. As a matter of fact, as you read 2 Kings 5 verse 1, the Bible says, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. 
It goes on to list his accomplishments. It's almost like he's graduating from high school or something, talking about all the good things that he's done. He is a great man, it says, with his master and in high favor, because by him, it says, the Lord had given victory to Syria. And it goes on to say that Naaman was a mighty man of valor. So you look at Naaman and you look at his accomplishments. He's the commander of the army. He is a great man. He's got high favor with the king. He knows the king personally. And he is a mighty man of valor. Everybody respects the kind of soldier and warrior and commander and general that Naaman is. He's got everything going for him. You want to talk about blessings. You want to talk about favor. Naaman has certainly experienced some of those things. But that last phrase of 2 Kings 5 and verse 1 is important. But he was a leper. That may not mean a great deal to you and me in 2020, but it meant a tremendous amount to people that lived in the time of Naaman. Naaman was a leper. And that meant that he was afflicted with a disease that was widely known throughout the ancient world as being contagious. And so people would have been reluctant to be around Naaman. He had a contagious disease. And not only that, but it was, as far as anybody was aware, an incurable disease. What treatment do you find to cure leprosy? It's contagious and it's incurable, and people in the ancient world lived in dread of contracting leprosy, so much so that God's Word has a mandate for Israelites. If you are afflicted with leprosy, you can no longer live among your people. You have to go outside the camp. You have to live outside, and that's where we get our phrase leper colony from. The idea of a leper colony, people that have a contagious, incurable disease, and they have to be separated and isolated from everybody else. Well, Naaman has leprosy. And so in spite of all these other things going well in his life, he is tremendously troubled. And as you read the rest of this account in 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, I want us to notice this morning three contrasts that are going to be instructive for us. Three contrasts in this passage that God wants us to see as he teaches us about what biblical faith looks like. Remember what I said, biblical faith is trusting God and it is subsequently obeying his word. It's not living faith without both of those components not without both trust and obedience. And watch the three contrasts that you see in this particular passage. Contrast number one, as you look at 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, the first contrast is a contrast between confidence and fear. Confidence and fear. We're talking about biblical faith here. And look at what the Bible does. It's amazing to go through Scripture and look at the heroes of the Bible because they're not always the mighty men of valor like Naaman. The hero, heroes of the Bible are sometimes little girls who were taken from their families against their will and brought to be slaves in foreign countries. Look at this. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. 
It's amazing how casually the Bible just mentions this little girl's experience. She was growing up in Israel. She evidently had parents maybe who loved her. The Bible says nothing of them or what happened to them. It just says the Syrian army had gone on a raid and happened to go to her village or her city. And it doesn't mention the trauma. It doesn't mention the emotional turmoil of being wrenched away from your family, never to see them again. It doesn't mention how she's adjusting in her new home, in her new circumstance, now that she's been carried away to Syria and she's going to spend the rest of her life, as far as she knows, as a slave doesn't mention any of that. It just casually says the Syrians had raided Israel and this little girl on one of those raids was taken into captivity. Now, not everything in this little girl's life was doom and destruction. She had found a resting place, a place where at least if she's going to be a slave, Mrs. Naaman is probably not a bad person to work for. And so she works in the house of Naaman, the commander of the armies of Syria. And when she knows about Naaman's leprosy, this little girl, I don't know how old she was, maybe a teenager, maybe younger, this young lady had something to say. And maybe it says something about the way that she's been treated, that she cares about Naaman, but she says to her mistress, the Bible says, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Mrs. Naaman, Mrs. Naaman, there's a prophet in Samaria. That's Israel. That's the northern kingdom. And he's not just any prophet. This little girl would have known that there were false prophets in Samaria. There were plenty of those. Ahab and Jezebel were not a distant memory at the time when Naaman lived. And Ahab and Jezebel had fed and supported all kinds of false prophets. But that's not who this little girl is talking about. She says there is a prophet, and she's talking about Elisha, the man of God. And he lives in Samaria. And if Naaman would just go and see him, he could cure Naaman's leprosy. This little girl has trust, has confidence in the God of Israel. I don't know who taught her. I don't know how long she was taught, but I know this. She knows where power can be found. And you and I are wise if we have that same mindset in our lives. We know where to go for cleansing. We know who is able to heal our soul's diseases. We're wise when we have that perspective. Now, the contrast. Naaman goes and gets a letter from the king of Syria to take to the king of Israel. After all, if you're going to go and find a man of God who has this kind of power, he certainly must be connected to the king. He must be close to the court. So Naaman, logically in his mind, goes to visit the king of Israel. This is the son of Ahab, most likely, that Naaman's going to visit. And watch what happens When Naaman brings the letter from the king of Syria to the king of Israel, the Bible says the king of Israel read the letter and he tore his clothes. That's a sign of mourning, a sign of, oh, woe is me. What disaster has befallen me? The king tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? What does he think I am? Only consider, the king of Israel says, and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. So what the king of Israel does is he basically politicizes the entire affair. 
Naaman, the Syrian general who has leprosy, comes with a letter. And by the way, Naaman came with gold and silver and precious gifts as well. And Naaman thinks, all I've got to do is go see the king and he's going to tell me where the man of God is and I'm going to find cleansing. But the king of Israel responds with fear and dread. Those Syrians are a powerful force and they're just looking for a way to stir up trouble. And my question for us this morning is this, what's wrong with Israel's king? Why is it that this little girl who has been taken a slave to Syria has more faith in her little finger than the king has in his entire body? Why is that? And why is it that so often when people come to the people of God today, that instead of finding faith, confidence in God, what they find is fear? Why is that the case? Watch what's wrong with Israel's king. He was part of a covenant, but he did not seek God in a crisis. God had brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, and he had promised them that he was going to bless them, and he was going to provide for them, and he was going to protect them. God had promised those things. You're part of my covenant. And yet, when the king faced a crisis, does he turn to God in prayer? Does he think that God is someone that is approachable? Does, he even, does it even cross his mind that maybe prayer and seeking God's will, maybe seeking God's profit, that might be a good thing to do? As a matter of fact, when you look at 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 8, it is Elisha, the man of God, who has to seek the king rather than the other way around. How often do we really take our burdens to our God in prayer as we just sang about a moment ago? Secondly, what's wrong with Israel's king? Failing to seek God's favor, to seek God himself, was evidently a pattern in his life. Even though he was part of a covenant and even though he was the king of the Israelites and Israel was the nation that belonged to God, even though all those things were true, this man was so wicked and so separate from God, there was just no faith in him. He did not see God as a source of blessing. He did not see God as someone who was accessible. And this was a pattern of behavior in his life. This was what his routine became. And then this, number three, what's wrong with Israel's king? Without God, he saw no way out of his dilemma. Why did he respond with fear? He was afraid because he did not understand or appreciate that there is a God in Israel. He did not understand or appreciate that that God longed to bless him and to bless his people and even to bless this Syrian general commander named Naaman. God wanted those things. The king of Israel, he couldn't see any of that because he was so wrapped up in his self, himself. He was so wrapped up in his own life and what was going on with him that all he saw was politics. All he saw was a ruse to bring another attack upon his nation. The contrast is striking. A little girl with tremendous misfortune in her life, great suffering, but she has confidence in God. A king who lives in a palace who has absolutely no idea of where to turn in his distress.
And God says to you, look at the contrast. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are and it doesn't matter where we come from and what our background is. What matters about us in seeking God's favor is that we put our confidence in Him, that we put our trust in Him. He knows what to do. He is able. As you think about contrast in this passage, look secondly at this. There's a contrast between God's Word and our preconceptions. We are talking about biblical faith here. Trust and obey. Do I put my confidence in God or do I respond to difficult circumstances with fear characteristically? And now secondly, do I listen to what God's Word has to say or do I pay attention only to my own preconceptions. After all, we all have preconceptions. We all have ideas about how life ought to be and how God ought to be and how God, God, obeying God ought to look. Watch what happens with Naaman. In 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. So Naaman hears from this man of God, come see me and I'll, I'll make sure you find healing from your leprosy. And Naaman goes with his horses and chariots, and he stands at the door of Elisha's house. And I'm sure Naaman thought this was going to be rolling out the red carpet for him. That's what he was used to. But instead, the house remains silent for a little while. And eventually, it says, Elisha sent a messenger to him. And the messenger had a very simple message. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Now think about what Naaman went to Israel to do. Naaman went to Israel to find cleansing for his leprosy, and now he has a prescription. Now he has an answer. You'd think Naaman would be happy about that. You'd think that his response would be, that's great, it's so simple, it's so clear, it's so straightforward. This is all I need to do to be cleansed. You'd think that Naaman would just trust and obey. But that's not what Naaman does. Look at the next passage. <laughs> it says in verse 11, But Naaman was angry. And the text indicates that he was in a rage. He was furious. And he went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and that he would stand. He's talking about Elisha, the man of God. He was supposed to come out and see me. And he was supposed to stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place where the leprosy is and cure the leprosy. And then Naaman turns his attention to the river. He said, I should go wash in the Jordan River seven times. What about the rivers of Damascus? I've seen the Jordan River, Naaman says. It's dirty, it's muddy, it's filthy, and it's in Israel of all places. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, Damascus is the capital of Syria, aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage angry. That's not what I expected. I had a preconception, and that's not what God said. Let's ask this question. What bothered Naaman? I mean, really, when you look at verses 11 and 12, what really is at the heart of what's bothering Naaman? Why is he so angry? 
After all, he's the one that went seeking answers. He's the one that went trying to find cleansing. And then when he got a clear and a simple and a straightforward answer, his response was to become angry. What bothered him so greatly in the first place? As you look at the passage, it tells you very explicitly, Elisha did not cater to his pride. Naaman was a man of some importance. There was no disputing that. He was the commander of the army of Syria. He knew the king of Syria personally. He had no small amount of money with him. Shouldn't Elisha have gone out and shown deference to a man like that, or at least respect as an equal? Elisha doesn't even bother to leave home to go see the man who's standing on his doorstep wanting to find an answer from God. Elisha didn't cater to his pride. And I'll tell you something, friends, brothers, sisters, Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount with these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. People who are proud and full of themselves will always have problems with faith. They will always have problems listening to and obeying what God has taught in His Word. Pride destroys. Pride tears down. Pride causes us as human beings to miss the blessings of God. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Not only did that bother Naaman, Elisha didn't even come out and see me himself, he just sent his messenger. The Bible goes on to say in that passage that God failed to meet his expectations. Behold, I thought. Naaman on his way to Israel had some time to think about what this healing, this cleansing was going to look like. If there really is a prophet of God that lives in Samaria, well, certainly he's going to come out and he's going to offer a bold prayer. I mean, that's what I've seen all the other people who are prophets do of other gods. And when they offer a bold prayer, then maybe he's going to wave his hand or maybe he's going to do something kind of mysterious. And in doing that, it's going to cleanse the leprosy. And so Naaman's already written the script in his mind. I know how God's going to bless me. I know what God's requiring of me. And God failed to meet his expectations. Incidentally, consider this. Don't you think God knows what's going on in Naaman's mind and heart as he's traveling to see Elisha, the man of God? Couldn't God have just used Elisha if God had wanted to? Couldn't he have just used Elisha to go out and do exactly what Naaman expected? There wouldn't have been a problem. Naaman wouldn't have had to get mad. None of this would have happened. Naaman could have been cleansed and gone on his way, but that's not the way God works. Because I want you to know something this morning. God is a sovereign God, and that means that He makes the rules. That means that He is an authority. That means that He is the one that writes the prescription. And His prescriptions for healing and blessing and cleansing, they do not always follow the script that we've written in our minds. That made Naaman angry. And then third, what made Naaman angry? It's funny. God's narrow-mindedness about all this is what made Naaman angry. The prescription was, go and dip seven times in the Jordan River. It's very specific. Seven times, Jordan River. The place and the action are prescribed. 
And especially what bothers Naaman is not the seven times aspect of it. What bothers Naaman, according to the text, is the location of it. I don't like the Jordan River. I don't want to wash in the Jordan River. The rivers in my home country are better than the Jordan River. Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? And the answer, you know as well as I do, is no. Because God wrote the prescription. God gave the commandment to Naaman. And Naaman has a choice now. He could either trust and obey, or Naaman can say, why, why would God prescribe that? And he can go on with his life and not find the blessing and the cleansing of God. You think about this, put yourself in your, in your mind's eye, put yourself with Naaman when he finally does, verses 13 and 14, when he finally does go and wash in the Jordan River. Think about how that looked. Ooh, it's an ugly, dirty river, but well, I'm going to do what the man of God told me to do. And so Naaman goes down the first time and he washes and he comes back up and he's still a leper. And Naaman goes down the second time and he washes and he comes back up and nothing has changed. He's still a leper. And then Naaman goes down the third time into the river and he washes and he's scrubbing maybe himself and he comes back up and he's still a leper. A fourth time he goes down to the river and he comes back up out of the river and he looks at his skin and leprosy is still part of his body. He goes down the fifth time and he comes back up and you would think he's obeyed so much already. I mean, he's, he's gone down the river five times. Couldn't God just give him a little bit of cleansing? But no, he comes up the fifth time and he's still a leper. And so he goes down to the river a sixth time and he washes and you think this is ludicrous. Seven times God wants him to go down to that water and come back up. Yes, that's what God prescribed. And so the sixth time he comes back up out of the water, he looks at his skin and he is still just as afflicted and just as sick as he was the first time. But he's done so much to obey God. But you see, the nature of faith is that I put my trust in God and I obey completely what God has said. I do everything that God has said. That's what faith does. And so finally, the text tells us that Nathan, er, Naaman goes down to that Jordan River a seventh time. And when he comes back up out of the water the seventh time, his flesh, it says, is like that of a little child. It wasn't a gradual removal. It was a complete obedience. And then at that point, a complete cleansing. God's Word always, always has the right prescription. Our preconceptions do not. Notice this contrast number three. I want you to look at the contrast. We sometimes miss this when we talk about Naaman and his cleansing. In verses 13 through 19, pre-cleansing versus post-cleansing. What was Naaman like before and what was he like after when you look at the passage, it says in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 13, his servants came near and said to him, my father, is it a great, wor uh, a great word the prophet has spoken to you? It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash, be clean? Isn't that what the prophet told you to do, Naaman? And so he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. 
Now there's a difference in Naaman's life. Before he was a leper and now he's cleansed. When did that happen? Did it happen on time number four, time number five? It happened on time number seven when he obeyed the prescription, the word of the Lord. 2 Kings 5 verse 15, now watch the change. When we decide that we're going to put faith in God, I want you to listen. Faith in God changes everything about your life. It's not as if we just decide, okay, I'm going to get a little bit religious and I'm going to do some spiritual things because I kind of think that might appease God or that might please him. I just, I'm just going to do some churchy things or I'm going to do some spiritual things and, and that's how I'm going to please him. No, 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 no. That's not the way God works. When you decide that you're truly going to put faith in God, I'm going to trust everything he says and I'm going to do everything he says. It changes everything about your life. Watch Naaman. He returns now as he's been cleansed to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came, came and stood before him. And Naaman says, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. Elijah, Elisha would not accept the present, the Bible says. And so he blessed Naaman, and Naaman went on his way back to Syria, cleansed, made whole. And as you read on in the passage, not everything about Naaman's understanding of God was complete. There was a lot that Naaman still had to learn. But I want you to see that Naaman, because of his faith in God, was a transformed man. He was different. What changed about Naaman? Number one, his condition changed. He came to Israel a leper and he left with flesh like that of a little child. He found what he was looking for. God did what he promised that he would do for Naaman. And God will do what he promises to do for you. Do you need forgiveness? Do you need cleansing from your sin? Do you need to be right with God? Your condition can be changed, but it happens when you trust and obey. What changed about Naaman? Not just his condition, but his attitude. As you look at verses 13 through 19, Five times Naaman, this general of the armies of Syria, calls himself your servant. This man who was so proud that he came up to the, the door of Elisha and expected Elisha to come out and roll out the red carpet, this man now goes back to Elisha and he says, I'm your servant, I'm your servant, I'm your servant. Five times his attitude has changed. Faith will change your attitude as well. And make no mistake, becoming a Christian is not just a matter of trusting and obeying. It's a matter of transformation inside out. My attitude, my motives, my beliefs, my convictions, that all changed about Naaman. His conviction, there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Naaman was a pagan as far as we are aware. He lived in Syria and he worshiped the Syrian gods and the Syrian idols if he worshiped anybody at all. But now, now that he's found cleansing, now that he's found hope, Naaman thinks differently. There's no other God. Only the God of Israel is the one that we ought to worship. He is now what we call a monotheist. He believes in the God of heaven and he believes that he's the only God worthy of any kind of praise or adoration or worship. What, can, what changed about Naaman? His resolution. He goes on to say to the man of God, I will not sacrifice to any God but the Lord. I'm going to worship him alone. And you watch this too. There is a connection between faith 
and worship. When I put my trust and my obedience in God and faith in God, it leads to praise. It leads to an overflow of joy because of what God has done for me. And that's what Naaman does. He says, I'm not going to sacrifice to anybody else, not going to worship any other God except the Lord, the God of Israel. And so I want you to see the contrast. Naaman went to Israel as a pagan who just wanted his leprosy cured. And he left Israel as a worshiper of God, devoted to God, saying things like, there's no other God on all the earth but the God of Israel. And by faith, by putting your trust in God and obeying his commandments, God will change you into the very same kind of person. And so my question this morning for you is this, what does God say to sinful men? What does God say to people who need forgiveness and cleansing? We've ridden our chariots up to the door of the man of God and we're asking the question, we're, we're afflicted with this incurable disease called sin. What can we do to have cleansing? What can we do to find healing from our sin? What can we do to be right with you, O oh God? And the man of God sends out a messenger to you and me and says simply this, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I don't think the story of Naaman in 2 Kings 5 is there by accident. And I don't think the details that are in that story about Naaman needing to go down to the water and wash seven times to humble himself, to obey completely everything God has said. I don't believe any of that is there by coincidence. It's there by divine design. God wanted people to see this is what faith looks like. And if you want to put your faith in me, God says, if you really want the forgiveness and the cleansing that I offer, my grace, if you want that operative in your life, trust in my word and obey. Wash and be clean. And that happens in the waters of baptism. If we can help you or visit with you about these matters, we'd love the opportunity to do that. There's a email address on the screen. Send us an email. Give us a call. Thank you for your attention this morning as we think about what faith looks like. Let's sing a song together as we reflect on God's blessings in our lives. Hi.